28. I'm Ken Rakowski in Los Angeles, California, and in Santa Monica, California. Over at the Skins, Opskins headquarters is Mr. William Quigley. We together are here to give you and decipher what's going on in the crypto Bitcoin space, uh, the blockchain space, the Ethereum space. If we go through all the tokens, it would take us weeks and weeks and weeks. But William, hey William, is there a favorite token of yours right now? Something obscure that none of us have ever heard of, but you like? No, no, pretty much everything no? I like, I think most people have heard of. Nothing pops up. You go, whoa, I like that dental token. We talked about a few episodes oh, back. Yeah, uh, no, no, I like uh, EOS. I like, uh, even when I complain about it, I like Ethereum, I like Bitcoin. Why do you complain about Ethereum? Well, because it uh, doesn't work too well. Oh, okay. So I'm happy we're hanging out. We've been doing this now going on more than a half of a year per se, but we've been doing this longer than a year because it's not always every single week. William is hanging out over there in this amazing office space that handles both digital assets and its own cryptocurrency that's traded over a bunch of different exchanges. You can find out more by going to, I think it's wax.io. Is that correct? That's right. Okay, you can find out more about that. And I would highly suggest, I do not work for Wax, he does, but I would suggest it's probably a damn good investment. Just, I'm saying from my side. So William, how do you inundate yourself with all the news that's out there? What do you have coming into your inbox or what do you listen to? How do you stay ahead of the trends and know what's going on? Well, uh, it's an impossible task is the short answer. <laughs> There's. There's literally no way to do that. I try to um, filter everything through the lenses that I'm looking at right now. And that is, uh, if we're talking about blockchain in particular and crypto, then that's through video gaming. Um, in particular, I'm interested in blockchain applications for video games. I'm interested in blockchain applications for uh you know, commerce outside of video games. No, I know. I hear what you're saying, but I'm saying, how do you keep abreast of all the news? What's your filter system? What do you read? Do you have a certain publication no, that you go to? No, 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 nothing. I, I just, I have a bunch of RSS feeds. Right. right. And I, those things send me, you know, emails and it's twice a day. And I look at those and then I've got a, uh, a Slack channel for those people who don't know what that is it's like skype but it is a uh it's a place where people can um, send you messages and so all day long in my slack channels i have people sending me articles or information about the stuff that's in my filter and i agree with what you just said because let's face it if you're in this space you have a high probability of being somewhat technical do you agree yeah, I'd say that's true. So when I see Quartz, which by the way, I love Quartz, QZ.com. They're a great publication. When they say, hey, we're going to create a paid crypto newsletter, I'm kind of puzzled a little because like you, like me, we're a bit tech savvy. We understand what an RSS is. We understand where all the publications are. Are they just going after this space because people are just going to spend money no matter what? And yeah, I'd it, say, I would say, so if you're referring to uh, Quartz, yeah, um, yeah, the uh, like the publishing company, so they uh, uh, 
a big uh, there is a big business in uh, newsletters around investing around like new opportunities to make money right and i think this is them thinking all right uh bitcoin Mm -hmm. A lot of people are speculating in them. So let's do a newsletter where we talk about the opportunities for investment. And it, it makes sense to me. Uh, I got to say, I've, I think I once in my life, I paid for an investment newsletter, but they seem very outdated these days. I agree. Virtually all information is, uh, is available on the internet without paying for it free completely free but i'll tell you yeah. what publication i like it is free but i get i love getting it every day do you know what the hustle is no i've never heard of it oh william i i want you and i'll send you a copy of the hustle comes out every day and i think it's written so well it's not just crypto it's just a whole bunch of different angles regarding the digital space but my go-to paid publications, without a doubt, are Financial Times, and I pay for the Wall Street Journal. I pay for both of those yeah. because I think their content is unique enough to where I can't find it in other places. Yeah, that's probably true. I always hate it when I'm on like Drudge or some other web news aggregator. I see a headline that I'm interested in, and then it's like, ah, I got to pay. Forget it. Okay. okay, here's a trick around that. So let's just say it's those publications that allow you to read it maybe two or three times, that's it, and then it forces you into a subscription model. You go to Chrome and use the incognito function, and it allows you to get in for free. Okay, and that works yep. on all of them? It works for, let's say you wanna go in the New York Times or The Economist or The Washington Post or something like that. Generally, it only lets you read it three times for free and then somehow they do a deep seed cookie. This allows you to get around that. So in the incognito mode in Chrome, I use it all day long. And I also use it because I have uh, all my pop-up stoppers, you know, all the stupid things that pop up all over the, all the ads and something like a Business Insider hates that. And I don't want to turn it off just for Business Insider. I use incognito mode inside Chrome, and I'm able to read all those articles. I'm surprised so, those guys have not been smart enough to not allow you to read their stuff in incognito mode. Well, but remember, the idea of incognito mode is it looks like as if you've never been to that platform or that site before. That's the whole idea. So it's, And it's funny, a company that lives off of ads, being Google, created that little angle inside their browser so ads can't be displayed properly i love it all right hey we have a lot to talk about it's a busy week even though everyone probably will be celebrating their last week of summer but we're going to talk about how uh, what is the blockchain really what is the blockchain and we'll dive into that what do you got william china banning cryptocurrency events well in north korea they might have their own crypto and Iran is coming out with its own national cryptocurrency, possibly. So why are major exchanges all excited about Ethereum? And 18% uh, apparently of US students, college students, now own cryptocurrency. And we got some listener emails, a lot more. He's William Quigley, I'm Ken Rakowski. You're listening to episode 28 of Coin DMZ. So 28 Coin DMZ, we are here at Hello H E L L O 
at CoinDMZ.com. We are your place to find out what's going on in the blockchain and crypto space. We're on, let's see, I got them all now. It's iTunes, it's Spotify, it's SoundCloud. You can find us and hear us all over the place. We're here with you almost every single week. Go to CoinDMZ.com to subscribe to our newsletter or just, I don't know, send me an email. Hello at CoinDMZ.com and I'll make sure I subscribe you. So, hey, William, I know that you are traveling from conference to conference talking about crypto. And then when someone says, can you explain the blockchain in a simple way? You finally have figured it out, right? Do you have a simple way to explain it to where people could understand it? Or do you have to go through this minutia and this long process? Tell me you figured a Reader's Digest version to explain the blockchain. Sure, sure. I, I, I think I have that. I'd be happy to share it. I mean, it, it there's a, you know, the 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 one sentence version, there's the one minute, there's the 10 minute and so forth. But it's it's always it's always one of those things where it seems, I think, more complicated than it is. And whenever I speak at conferences, I try to uh, at least convey how I think about a blockchain because I think of it as a very simple thing. I want to hear simplicity. You want to hear simple? Uh, if someone, uh, if you're on this, listening to this podcast and you've ever uh, used a spreadsheet, so Excel would be an example or a shareable spreadsheet like Google Sheets, then uh, you've just, now you you understand half of blockchain, by the way, already. Uh, so uh, blockchain is an Excel spreadsheet in the internet cloud. So that's the simple example. And it's not much more than that. And so it's your, it's your, <laughs> I, 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 can, can I, I can go in deeper and say, it's like having an Excel spreadsheet in the internet cloud with some information. Of course, that information says, column one, who owns the, the coin, column two, how much they own, column three, uh, when they received it, and so forth. And what that's, most of you are probably thinking, well, that's nothing very special. It's a spreadsheet that has a bunch of information, if it's a Bitcoin spreadsheet, about all the tokens that are out there, all 17 million, and who owns them. And when I say who owns them, it, it has your, it's the equivalent of your email address in the internet world. We call it the, uh, the uh, public key, but just think about the email address. So all the email addresses of everybody who owns Bitcoin and uh, how much Bitcoin they own. And it's in a spreadsheet and that spreadsheet is in the internet cloud, meaning you can use your your browser on your your internet or on your uh, your PC to go and access it. What makes it cool is anybody can access this spreadsheet, and I would say <clears throat> anybody can change the spreadsheet, and yet the spreadsheet is always correct. Now that's the part that you go, what? Yep. Anyone who invests in a certain amount of computing power can go and participate in the updating of the spreadsheet. We call these uh, basically a, a confirming or approving blocks. And if you approve or affirm a block, you get a certain amount of uh, Bitcoin for doing that task, which hopefully pays for your expensive Bitcoin machines. And, um, uh, there's some tricks 
that the Bitcoin software does and the rules of Bitcoin do in order to make sure that, you know, you don't change the Bitcoin spreadsheet to say that you have a million Bitcoin. But basically, that's it. Just a big spreadsheet that people update that it lists all the crypto or all the Bitcoin on it. And um, now there's some real magical properties here, one of which is this spreadsheet allows this thing called Bitcoin to exist and that Bitcoin provides incentives for the people who are running the machines to keep the system working and so forth. But that's pretty much it. But you it. keep on saying Bitcoin. When we say blockchain, blockchain can be in multiple industries. Like for example, if I'm a, uh, I draw blood, I have a company that draws blood and does human specimens. I can use blockchain around that, couldn't I? Blockchain is, if I if I was calling everything Bitcoin, my apologies, I sometimes do. Blockchain is the spreadsheet that's up in the internet. Cloud. That is pointed to something that is verifiably the unique or that individual of whatever. It's a spreadsheet and based on the design of the blockchain, that spreadsheet is always correct. So you came now. You're, if you're, you're an account, you were over my house the other day, and you had those Kmart Keds, K-E-D-Z shoes on. Those cheapo shoes. Could those theoretically have a blockchain code to them to say that they are authentically from Kmart and they are yours? Yeah, that would be a supply chain application, and sure. So you can put anything in this spreadsheet. Anybody with an internet connection can access it and they can see all the relevant information, who owns something, how much of that they own, you know, a description of it, when they acquired it, when they traded it out of their account. But uh, I, what I've done my whole career is I, I deal with, you know, emerging technologies. And one of my pet peeves is... Uh, uh, when new technologies arrive, it always seems to be the case that there's these, I'd call them like high priests, and they're the ones who sort of explain the technology and know all about it, but they kind of do it in a way that really never makes it too easy to understand, so you always need them to help you, and I don't like that. So if, if you understand the concept of a spreadsheet, putting information in, in a spreadsheet and updating it periodically, that's like a blockchain. But I don't understand why all and these the conferences are out there. If it's as simple as what you said, it's this thing that has a, a, a pointing mechanism to a ledger that verifies what it is. It's a database from the 1980s. Ashton Tate did this, you know? Um, so I'm glad you say that because in 1988, I was working at a bank and we had a blockchain. And I believe blockchains in some form have existed for centuries. There is... Now, they weren't electronic spreadsheets, but they were records. And they were records or manuscripts or manifests that would get updated. And the key in the blockchain, the key point I want to make here is that you're maintaining this record, these series of records in this spreadsheet, and you're allowing people to update it as coins go from one group to another and so forth. But the magic of the blockchain is it's always correct. The system, the blockchain system is designed so that anytime you update the spreadsheet 
there can't be any errors in so it. So what's the uniqueness now, of this then? And why is there blockchain conference this, blockchain conference okay, that? Okay, so I, I guess I'd say to you, uh, is there a spreadsheet on planet Earth that you know that can be updated that is 100% accurate every time it's updated? No. I mean, there's a lot of errors. No, there isn't. But is this an entire industry that should be created off of that? It feels like Internet no, World from what? 1990s. Do you remember Internet World was everything? Has Internet World over? <laughs> I love that conference. Uh, so, yeah, uh, the, the key, Ken, the key, and maybe we'll dedicate a show to this later on, the key as a 25-year-long as a venture capitalist, I will tell you, the key to understanding or having some, finding the brilliant insight about how to create, I don't know, the Uber app from uh, seeing a smartphone or whatever, the key insights come from first understanding what the technology is at a very simplistic level. People who understand things extremely well, and I'm sure the audience can appreciate this, they can explain it in a really easy to understand way. And, and, and so once you understand something at its like basic, real, like bare bones level, then you can start to let your imagination run wild. Of course, the very first application of this spreadsheet that's always correct is essentially like an online bank. Because if you're always sure that your bank account balances are correct, then you will feel comfortable leaving your deposits in that bank. And Bitcoin blockchain is kind of like an online bank where you deposit your coins and you never worry that someone is going to make an error and suddenly when you want to withdraw it, the coins are gone. Okay. And from that point on, from using it as a way to make currencies, you then come up with all kinds of other applications like supply chain management because because this this um, spreadsheet can is always correct it can never be by the way it can never be deleted you can never change a piece or, or, or remove a piece of information from it you can only update it there's always a record of what was there before. It makes it a very reliable way for international businesses to operate. It also makes sure that you can never uh, have, let's say, someone on the inside, like of a bank, go and uh, change the records to uh, steal your money. So once you know that there's a, a, a database that's always correct and can be updated, but can never ever be inaccurate, the reality is, it's a, it's a, it, there's a fantastic amount of business and personal applications you can create. And that's what's been happening over the last, I don't know, seven or eight it, years. It sounds like it's the internet at, it used to be at least the internet at uh, dial up. And then when the internet broadband came around, we went, oh my gosh, now there's broadband. We can do so many amazing things because we have broadband. And then after that, we went to wireless. Oh, now we have wireless and we can do so much with the net because it's wireless and it's portable. Blockchain is just another iteration of the next generation of the internet. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I would say blockchain is much smaller than the internet. Oh, no, 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 no. next phase of the internet. 
Yeah, it's it's I, I would say it's something in the same way that Uber was the next phase of like the internet or mobile. Got it. Uh, it's an application. Blockchain is an application that's accessible if you have an internet connection that can do some cool stuff. I don't think, I think it's great, but it's not like, oh my gosh. Okay, I'm sorry I was going to come down at me. I'm speaking at a ton of blockchain events, and they're going to go, we don't want him as a speaker anymore. No, don't think about it that way. You just have to package this a little differently because it's going to burn out really fast. If you say blockchain, blockchain's great, great, great. You have to go to the next level. By the way, we're sitting doing the show. It's episode 28. Bitcoin is at 7. What? Yeah, Ken, I just want to say one thing about that. It would have been possible, maybe, if we were 10,000 years old, to have seen a guy who said, hey, uh, all you guys out there who are you know, pushing, um, pushing logs with uh, uh, square-shaped uh, wheels, uh, I got this thing, and it's called a wheel, and it'll make it much easier for, for you to push logs. And initially, people probably thought about it as a great way to move logs, right? Now, the wheel has some fantastic properties that go way beyond pushing logs. But, you know, over time, people thought of what those things were, right? You can let jets land on runways because they have wheels, right? Uh, you can allow machinery to work because there's wheels in it. So I would just say, I think a blockchain like this, it's an enabling technology. It allows us to do a lot of other cool stuff because of what it is. But in and of itself, no, it's nothing fantastic, but it's an amazingly powerful tool when you couple with it with a business application. There you go. I agree with you 100%. Thank you, William. Thank you for your wheel scenario and analogy. It's beautiful. <laughs> Bitcoin right now is at $7,062. Ethereum is two ninety one. Uh, Ripple's at $0.34, cents and EOS is $6.24. How often should I look at these prices? Should I be looking at this every day, or should I just kind of look at these values of these tokens, kind of like I do with my stocks that I bought on the stock market? Like, I go buy Tesla, and I hear all the negative news. I hear good news. I hear, oh, they're coming out with this, and... I, I check it when I hear this, but I don't watch it every day. Should I be doing the same thing if I'm not a day trader when it comes to crypto? I guess I would say if it makes you feel good, go do it. Uh, I don't check stock portfolios every day. I don't find the information that useful. Um, I would say unless you're trying to do something with the tokens every day, so you maybe you're a trader, uh, personally, it wouldn't add any value to my day. Right. I, I agree with you. I really do. And I think these people are, they're, they're day traders. They have that day trading mentality and they want to get back to those, those 10 X returns, which I don't see happening anytime soon, unless you're playing with the one and two cent type cryptos and something's going to pop overnight. Uh, but that, uh, I don't know. It's probably true. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're in right now. We're in a bit of a of a slump, right? Uh, for some of these coins, and the market cap has gone from what maybe seven hundred million billion at the beginning of the year to what is it now? Two hundred billion. Uh, you want the exact number? Exact number is two hundred thirty billion. Two hundred thirty yeah. billion, and get by the way with nineteen hundred cryptocurrencies. <laughs> it's crazy, but uh, and look at uh, of that. Um, fifty-two point eight percent of it is Bitcoin. 
is BTC of the entire overall market value of crypto. So Bitcoin still is the outstanding of all the cryptocurrencies. Hey, let's talk about a couple of countries out there. Let's first talk about China. China is saying, hey, cryptocurrencies, we're going to make it even harder for you to communicate about it. They're basically creating a ban on events for crypto in China, not Hong Kong, but China specifically. Why is China so anti-crypto? Well, it's, you know, whenever you talk about any country, right, it's uh, it's tempting to say like America, China, Germany, whatever. But, you know, these are not monolithic entities. There's there's a, a million competing agendas. Uh, one of the agendas being advanced by one of the groups in China is to um, maintain the Chinese currency, the RMB, as the principal currency people use in China. And they want that because, like all governments, they like to know what's going on in their country. You know, what economically, just from gathering statistics, what are people buying? Uh, so... Um, that's one that's one thing in their mind is hey this cryptocurrency stuff is harder for us to understand we don't know which because in in a, in a in a bitcoin or an ethereum blockchain you don't have to identify yourself so i think one reason they're kind of negative on it is because they're suspicious of of what the people might do with these coins that they would prefer them not to do maybe buy things outside of china but, or but understand they're into blockchain, not necessarily cryptocurrency, because blockchain makes more sense. Yeah, and so what I would I would say about this is, it is a it is a, a fundamental flawed misunderstanding of the value of a blockchain. If you believe a blockchain in and of itself is useful, but you never need a cryptocurrency paired with exactly. it. Exactly. I've, I've been on panels with VCs and they talk about, we love blockchain, we don't like cryptocurrency. Blockchain without a cryptocurrency is what you and I would call a database. That's all it is. Everyone, it's all it is, is a database. Going back to what we said earlier. Hey, North Korea, I know William and I are waiting for um, uh, the vacation season to start up in North Korea so we could go out there and hit the Four Seasons or the Ritz-Carlton. It's going to be around the corner soon, William. But while it's not happening, guess what's going on in North Korea? And that is they're mining. Now, when I say mining, they're mining cryptocurrency. Now, I thought, William, besides having massive amounts of power, because you have to have CPU power to power all these rigs, don't you have to have decent broadband also or no? Well, yeah, you need it. You need to, an internet connection. That's true. I, I don't think that that would be hard for uh, North Korea to to obtain because you know they they monitor it closely since they're a totalitarian regime. But I'm sure the North Korean government has no problem getting access to uh, internet connectivity. <laughs> and this uh, is what they're doing. They're mining crypto. The government is. We're not talking about the population, but the actual government. Which I I, yeah. I think is kind of and it makes sense. It makes sense. It, it's the same. It's the same thing going on in Iran. It makes sense because if you are a country, and the United States has deemed you a you know a threat, uh, and they've sanctioned you, the United States really controls global banking, 
And, and that means just because you know we're one country and we have four percent of the U.S. of the world population, and you might say, well, no, the, the U.S. laws only apply to uh, to to banks in the U.S. Well, that's not true because the way the U.S. government works is it tells all banks not in the U.S. if you want to work with companies in the U.S you must abide by U.S. banking laws. So as a result, when the U.S. says don't bank with uh, Iran or North Korea or South Sudan, uh, Cuba, uh, that's it. The vast majority of the banks in the world will not do it because they know they'll be blocked from participating in the biggest banking market in the world, and that's the United States. And what's the deal with the SWIFT side of things? SWIFT, which is the international uh, uh, cooperative that allows uh, banks to send wires across the borders, uh, that is first an antiquated technology from, I want to say, the 70s. And uh, crypto or blockchain-based payments are much better. But uh, since SWIFT is, the SWIFT network is embedded in the global banking infrastructure, and the U.S. controls global banking, there's no using SWIFT unless you are abiding by the U.S. laws. So that's the reason. Uh, North Korea and Iran have been uh, excluded from participating in those networks, and therefore they can't send any money in and out through the formal processes, which is why you hear about North Korea having cash put on ships and sent you know, into other countries. Uh, it's actually a very, very uh, powerful tool the U.S. government uses, you know, the ability to uh, uh, deny access to countries it doesn't like, access to the global banking network. So what we're seeing is in both, as George Bush Jr. would say, the axis of evil being North Korea and Iran, and that is since we have basically, uh, we've created blockades, for them to change and exchange any form of currencies ex outside their own countries, they're trying to find a way to use a universal currency so they can buy stuff externally, and that's with crypto. Which, by the way, William goes back almost to China now. We go to China, China wants to make sure they monitor and measure everything. They can't necessarily do that on the crypto side, can they? No, no. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, you can make your system, if you're using a blockchain as a business, you can make it uh, uh, accessible only if people um, identify who they are. That's like Coinbase, right? If you want to work with Coinbase and keep money or crypto on the Coinbase uh, account, you have to provide your name, address, serial number. But uh, you can choose not to do that, and uh, therefore you could get paid or send payments in denominated in crypto to other people uh, without ever revealing who you are. So it's conceivable if there's, let's say, uh, a company manufacturing a particular product that the Iranians need, a technology product, and uh, they say, hey, uh, we're, you know, they identify themselves as a, a company that's not in Iran, and they say, uh, we'll pay you in Bitcoin it's conceivable that that would be a way for them to get around sanctions and uh, uh, still be able to buy stuff uh, from these other vendors. 
but I suspect it's still pretty hard because most businesses are going to demand what they call KYC, which is know your customer. And they're going to demand documentations to prove that the person sending the Bitcoin is, you know, known and in a country that's not sanctioned. And because it's on the blockchain, whatever they use as in numbers, let's just say they use an obscure number to pay for something, that number of Bitcoin that was used can be tracked on the blockchain that will probably have some type of trail to where it was used to buy whatever it is from that source. Meaning, you know, probably oh, absolutely. because the spread, yeah, because the blockchain spreadsheet can never be uh, deleted, the information can be updated, but the old information remains. This pretty much means that if you were a really good forensic accountant, you might be able to trace back that, you know, the original sender you can. of this crypto. You totally can. That's why the best way still, if you wanted to move stuff around without it being traced, is cash. Cash is the best way. Yeah, you can do what they call mixers, but that's a different thing where you sort of pool all of your currency into a bunch of random wallets and then they send out from there. But yeah, it's harder. Yep. Uh, right now it's cash. Hey, we're just going to jump through these other two stories. Hey, I said 52% of all the cryptocurrencies uh, market cap is is Bitcoin. But a lot of the uh, new exchanges are saying we like Ethereum more. But as William said earlier, Ethereum isn't always predictable and consistent. There is flaws specifically around the Ethereum network. It went down about two months ago, which created massive havoc. Actually, at your business, because you do a lot around Ethereum, correct? That's correct. And unfortunately, since it is a open source environment, there's no police monitoring it. Uh, no toll gates measuring it. And uh, when it goes down, it's, it's, how did it come back up? If it went down the Ethereum network, what made it come back up, William? So I want to explain when I say it went down. It never went down. It operated exactly as it was designed and it operated perfectly fine. Now let me give you the caveat. In this, it operated perfectly fine in the same way a freeway or a highway that uh, you use every day operates perfectly fine, even if uh, it's 6 p.m. on a Thursday night and the normal 15-minute commute takes three hours. Well, the, the, the highway hasn't changed. It still has four lanes. The weather's good. You just have too much congestion. So what happened to Ethereum a couple of months ago was it got too much congestion. Uh, uh, there was a company that did a big promotion and it led to a massive amount of transactions being done all around the same time on the Ethereum network. And as a result of that, it became, the network became clogged. And the way Ethereum deals with massive congestion is it doesn't say first come, first serve, wait in line. What it says is if you pay a higher toll, We'll let your transactions go through first. The problem my company had was the average transaction on our in our company is about $10. And the toll that we had to pay to complete the transaction was $50. So, you know, if you're going to buy something for $10, but it costs you $50 for the transaction fee, you're probably not going to do it. 
So uh, it basically, it stopped working for us. And after 24 hours and no let up, uh, like a perpetual traffic jam, we, uh, we abandoned Ethereum and we went and launched a very early version of the wax blockchain that was really not ready to be launched but we had no choice because otherwise we were out of business and we will not be going back to ethereum that that the flaw with ethereum is if you are operating on what we call the main network which is the network most people sending ethereum are using then um anybody can join it at any time and they can do a major promotion. No one has to announce. It's not coordinated, right? Because it's a decentralized network. Anyone can do it. It's what we call permissionless. And as a result, you never know when the crowd's going to show up and it's going to make it so you can't get anything said. There's no gatekeepers. Yeah. And it's designed not to have gatekeepers because the whole point is there is no third party who can come in and say, this is how it's going to work. Uh, the, the, uh, the fact that it's decentralized means that it's highly resilient. And by that, I mean, nobody can go after one part of it and try to take it down. But the weakness of this decentralized structure is no one manages it. And so if everybody shows up to do stuff at the same time, there's massive congestion. All right. La That's a problem that last thing we're going to do. There was a survey. Wasn't a large pool. That was 675 students. And they were asked questions regarding cryptocurrency from Coinbase. They did this. And according to the survey, 18% of those students, small number, by the way, if you think about it, they owned cryptocurrency. What I thought was more obvious was it was a larger percentage when it came to computer science students. Uh, they owned more crypto than anybody else. Kind of a no-brainer. But I wonder if this is an indicator of what our whole world is, and that is a higher educated individual is going to know what crypto is. And if they're technically savvy, goes back to our conversation at the beginning of the show, they probably are involved with some type of crypto environment. Don't you think it's more of a this is exactly mirroring what the real world is, this study, the survey? Well, the one thing I would say about the study, so in general, I think I agree with the the, the the ideas behind it, but uh, I'd say I'm very suspicious of the idea that 18%, let's call it one in five U.S. college students owns a Bitcoin, Ethereum, Wax, they own a crypto. I'm very suspicious of that. I, I would gather it is less than 5%. You think it's too high. I think one out of five or 18% is, I don't believe the number. I think it's, I think it's more like one out of 20 or 5% U.S. college students own a cryptocurrency. Wow. All right. That's interesting then. So again, since it was done by Coinbase, Coinbase probably wanted to show it to be a little higher too. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, I don't know what the statistical sample was and so forth. I mean, Coinbase is a reputable company, so uh, presumably they did it as close to, like, statistically accurate as they could. But I'm just really skeptical because there are so few people who own crypto. I I have some. You got some with you right now? You got some in your wallet? I don't. You got your wallet right now? 
Nope. All right, last thing, and it's all around those letters, those emails, because we get lots of mail. Letters, we get letters, we get back and back of letters. And we do. It's hello at coindmz.com. You drop us a little email right inside. I don't know what you're using. Do you use Eudora or Outlook Express? Or if you're using, uh, uh, let's see, Mozilla. What are some of the older email programs you used to use? Come on. Uh, Pine. Elm. Elm. No, email, not postal. <laughs> so again, it's hello at Coin. What? I'd like, to, I'd like to read this first one, if you don't mind, Ken. Okay, go for it, buddy. Okay, sure. Ken, question. Wait, who's this coming Why from? Why do you always make fun of William? I don't make in fun of William. I don't. Is this your from your in mother? In particular, let me, add, let me add, add the second part. When have you personally tarrened? We haven't tarrened in a while. I was going to talk about tarrened earlier. Tarrened, again, is the whole term specifically around missing out but talking about it constantly. You know, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to go to the gym. Up, oh, I died of a heart attack. Oh, you tarrened. You're supposed to go to the gym. You didn't. So we talk about crypto. We talk about it. And, and Tarrant, you probably know a Tarrant when they do it. They talk about it as if they know everything about it and they don't do anything about it. They don't invest. They don't do any of it. Have you Tarrant? Oh, many times. So nothing this week. And why do I make fun of you? Because it's easy. Our first one oh. is coming from Landis from Madrid. It says, that was a fake letter, by the it way. Was, just it was. It was. I got it from CNN. First real letter. Hello, Coin DMZ. How do I pick the right wallet? There seems to be too many of them. <laughs> How do you pick the right wallet? Well, here's what I would say. Um, uh, it's all kind of personal taste. We're talking about a crypto wallet, right, to hold your crypto funds. There's a little bit of a, uh, a, a sort of a, a choice between something really easy to use, accessible like Coinbase, right? But maybe there's aspects of it you don't like uh, and something highly, highly secure where you are holding your tokens, not Coinbase. For people to understand this, and I think it's important that the audience gets it, there are wallets. In the real world, we call them accounts. You got your PayPal account, you got your bank account, you got your E-Trade account. But in the crypto space, we call them wallets. I'm not sure why. But you've got wallets where, like Coinbase, where you send them your crypto and they pool all of the coins together, kind of like when you deposit money in a bank. They hold, they don't like have your cash in one drawer and another guy's cash in another. It's all pooled. Well, you've got wallets like that. They're very easy to use. And because you are dealing with the middleman like Coinbase, if you lose your password, they help you out. Then you have wallets where you own the coins directly on a special device. Those coins are literally stored in the Bitcoin um, uh, blockchain, if they're Bitcoin. And as a result, uh, only you have access to them. Of course, if you lose your password, you're kind of screwed. So Coinbase is a great wallet for convenience, but you don't actually uh, directly control your coins. They sit in the Coinbase uh, account. Or you could use something called Ledger. And uh, I don't like to like just randomly mention one, but I will say Ledger is very good. And uh, many people consider them to be the best. 
And um, if you're really worried about security, I would go with the Ledger wallet. Just be aware, you know, there's no hand holding. You got to know how to use it, and it's a physical device. And if uh, if you lose it, there's ways to recover stuff if you've kept some records. But it's um, it's a bit more of an advanced wallet. All right. This is coming from Erica, who's from uh, Notre Dame, Indiana, the Fighting Irish. I'm a senior at Notre Dame University. And once I graduate, I'll have almost $200,000 in college loans. I bought Bitcoin when it was under $400. All right. Good job. And I want to use it to pay off my student loans. Is there a way for me to pay directly? I have enough to pay my full loan off. Wow, that's great. Is, I don't think colleges take it, do they? They should. Well, the college, you don't, uh, I don't know. Um, no, you're not paying the college pay. directly. Right, right. I don't know where these loans are, but it, presumably these are federally backed guaranteed loans. Some of these might be all to the U.S. Treasury. Uh, so, um I would just say this, uh, almost who cares whether the lender who you owe 200000 to takes Bitcoin directly. It doesn't matter. Uh, you would simply sell the Bitcoin and uh, pay your taxes on the gains from that Bitcoin. If it's, if it's Bitcoin, they said, uh, yeah, they said Bitcoin, not crypto. And then whatever's left over, use that to pay off the loan. I think it's not a bad idea to pay off the loan. Now she bought uh, for 400 bucks. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. So if this, if, if Erica can pay off the loan for all of it, uh, so let's say at a, I don't know what her tax rate is, but let's just say federal rate is 37 and a state rate She's is a student. So let's say, She's a student. Let's say it's 50%, right? So if you have 200,000 loans, you would need $400,000 in Bitcoin, sell it, net 200 after tax, and use the 200000 to pay off the loan. Actually, she's a student. She doesn't really have a high tax rate at all. It's probably her best time to do it. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. Your taxes are oh, based on- on the capital gains. Right. So cap gains is 23.8% plus state, 12, whatever, 10. So maybe, yeah, maybe she'll have, um, maybe she'll have 60% left. So- um, Good. Pay off the taxes, sell it, pay off the taxes, pay off the loan. I don't think that's a bad idea. All right, last one. This has come from Nate from Durban, South Africa. I want to gift my family members some of the crypto I've bought of the years. I, I bet, bet he says over the years. Can I just send it to them? Yes, yes. Uh, but I don't know the rules in South Africa, so the, the tax rules. I would just say in the United States, you're allowed to give, I, I'm pretty sure, but it could be wrong. I think it's 10000 per person per year tax-free. Uh, so the question would be, does South Africa have a, uh, a policy for, for paying taxes on gifts? And if it doesn't, then great. Well, let's step back, um, William. I thought the whole premise of crypto was there is no country I have to deal with. So I have a relative that sits in South Africa and my other relative is sitting in in, in London, does it really matter? I mean, it doesn't matter until yeah. they cash it out, correct? No, I mean, look, and I'm not international tax expert, right? So I don't know how every country works, but I can tell you if, if you're a United States citizen and somebody sends you, let's say $10,000 in cryptocurrency, uh, that if they designate it as a gift, 
then uh, no one pays any taxes, but you're limited to the gift or can only send you 10 grand. Mm -hmm. If they sent you 100,000, then you would have to pay taxes on 90,000 uh, because uh, you know that's just income to you. So, uh, and, and in the United States, the recipient doesn't pay the tax, it's the sender who pays it. So that's just how it works. Uh, you, might, you might be saying, can I technically send it to somebody else without paying taxes? You could, but you, know, you can do lots of things that way, but you're not supposed to. So, you know, Whoops. you got to know what you, your the tax obligation is, figure that out. And then of course you can just send it to them, but you know, um, you got to make sure that it's all done in accordance with the rules of wherever you're a citizen. You're kind of like a dad now, aren't you? You got to follow all the rules all the time. Can't you just use the excuse that it's easy? I forgot. Oh, I forgot. I forgot to pay the taxes. Can you not use that yeah. one? Uh, you can try. No, it doesn't work. All right. Again, William is over at Opskin or at Wax, wax.io. Learn more about that. And uh, you'll be watching and seeing more happening at coindmz.com. New sites getting launched. Some pretty pictures of William. Most people want to know if William is an international fashion model. The photos that will be published soon might answer that question, which a lot of people ask, by the way, when they send it to hello at coindmz.com. You can learn more about William there and myself. William, any last words from you? <sighs> Just that uh, I'm looking forward to September. I, uh, I'm looking forward to all of the crypto conferences where new technologies, new applications are going to be coming out. This last part of the year is always, as you know, Ken, in technology is always fun. September to December, there's always tons of new announcements. So, uh, uh, let's stay tuned and see what new developments are being created. All right, William Quigley, Ken Rakowski, we want to thank you for hanging out with us and being part of Coin DMZ. Oh,